Well, we're going to turn to our Bible now, and uh, our reading this morning is from Romans chapter 11, which is part of our regular studies. Uh, We're actually going to be taking this passage over a couple of weeks, and so for today I'm I'm only going to be taking some main points out of, of the reading, which is going to be going down from verse 1 down to 24, but uh, I won't be dealing with all of that. What I'd like you to look out for, though, as we have the reading, are a couple of key phrases. Uh, One of the key phrases that we have is down in verse number 22, which will uh, provide the kind of main point, which is the kindness and the severity of God. Another couple of key words to look out for, the word rejected, grace, and grafted. So let's read the passage. I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means. For I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah? How he appeals to God against Israel? Lord, they've killed your prophets. They've demolished your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. But what is God's reply to him? I've kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened, as it's written. God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear, down to this very day. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and bend their backs forever. So I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Now, I'm speaking to you Gentiles, and as much then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. If the root is holy, so are the branches. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree. Do not be arrogant toward the branches. 
If you are, remember, it's not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That's true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and the severity of God. Severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness, otherwise you too will be cut off. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? Amen. May God's uh, word uh, touch our hearts. Fairly complicated reading, uh, but uh, hopefully there'll be one or two main points that will be semi-understandable uh, this morning. We're starting with a question, a question for all of us this morning. And you can understand why the question is being asked. Uh, the question is, so has God rejected his people, the Israelites, the Jewish people? Have these people been rejected? Now, you can understand why that question was asked. The Jews had rejected Christ, they'd crucified him. As far as the preaching of the gospel in the early church was concerned, they were hostile to it. They persecuted many of the apostles and the early church members. And it seems as though they're completely opposed. And so you can understand why this question has now been asked. Have they been rejected? Has God just closed the door on them? Is this the, the end of the road as far as the opportunity for Jewish people are concerned. They've had all their privileges, all the background, so much heritage. God has spoken them to them in so many different ways, not just over the years, but over the centuries. They have the written word of God. Despite all of that, they seem to have just turned around and walked away from all of what God says about the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, who was promised. Surely this is the end of the road as far as they are concerned. That's what lies behind the question. The answer is pretty clear cut. And the answer is this, not at all. By no means are they rejected. I mean, being rejected is not a nice thing. Uh, I remember hearing somebody say to me, and it wasn't true, but it was a perception, that uh, he always felt that he was a bit of a disappointment to his parents. You know, it's bad enough feeling like that, but to feel as though you've been rejected, abandoned, not wanted, I mean, that's an awful thing. And what we're talking about is actually being rejected by God. Can I be rejected by God well, the wonderful thing, as far as the Jewish people were concerned, and as a general principle, 
which can be extended as we think about it this morning, is this, that you won't be rejected by God if you come to him. Irrespective of your background, irrespective of your life, the arms of Christ are extended. He holds them out in invitation and in welcome, and you will not be rejected. The invitation lies open to all. And he gives two illustrations. Two people are cited to make that point. Talks about himself, first of all. He said, oh, and I'm, a, I'm a Jew. And look, you know, I, I now am I'm a member of the, of the church of God. I, I have not been rejected. If, if ever there was somebody who, who should have been rejected, he looks at himself. I mean, you remember his background. He was Saul of Tarsus. Um, a, a religious ultra, if ever there was one, outstripping his contemporaries, top of the class, sat at the feet of the renowned theologian Rabbi Gamaliel. Such was his passion and enthusiasm that he dis- for the law of his fathers that he dismissed what he thought was this cult of the way led by Jesus of Nazareth, imprisoned many of the early church, chased them to foreign countries and he was the one that consented to the death of Stephen the first Christian martyr he described himself in 1st Timothy as a, a blasphemer a persecutor a violent man the chief of sinners and yet the goodness of God the kindness of God the mercy of God was experienced by Paul the risen Christ appeared to him held out his hands in welcome and received him when he placed faith in Christ. He was not rejected. And therefore he says, you will not be if you come to Christ. Second illustration, Elijah. Elijah really did think he was the last man standing. He thought he was the last believer in the nation. The whole country seemed to have gone over to the ideology of Baal worship. Everything was geared up for that. He'd stood alone on Mount Carmel, that famous competition, up against all the prophets of Baal, against the entire representation of the nation. They were all there, and one man, Elijah, stood. And that's what he thought. And they were chasing him down, hunting him for his life. He says to God, I think I'm the only one left. I don't think there's another soul that I know about who believes what I believe or who thinks what I think or who stands with me and they're after me and once I'm gone, the flame will go out and everything will have finished and the darkness will descend as far as the gospel and spiritual life in this land is concerned. And he had to learn that God had 7,000 people secreted away, his remnant, who were true believers, genuine people. And he was not the only one left at all. God, by his grace, will never let the flame go out. And although the gates of hell, as we often say, try to trample down the church of God, they will never prevail. And God's church, after, after the smoke of the conflict fades away, the people of God, whether they are people who have come from a Jewish background or a Gentile background, 
who have come to faith in Christ, there they will stand intact because God is able to make them stand. And so these are the two examples that he gives as far as answering emphatically, will they be rejected? Of course they won't. Which brings us to this sense of application, encouragement for the people of God today. It is very easy to feel overwhelmed that the whole world thinks differently, that we're backed away into a little corner and there's nobody left and the whole forces of secularism and all the ideologies that are so popular and so prevalent today are just overwhelming. But let us remember that God through his grace will maintain his people and be encouraged that you are not the last person standing and we are not the last group and the only group that represent Christ and his gospel. The big point, the second point, is the point about grace. That's why he can say that. You see how that's, uh, that's mentioned a number of times. Verse number six and verse number five. A remnant chosen by grace. If it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. All day long. This is, this is the word that describes what the gospel is about. It's about the goodness of God. It's about the kindness of God. It's about the grace of God. We don't deserve God's love in Christ. We didn't deserve that the Son of God should come from heaven and take our sin and die for us. But God gave that to us so that we might receive the Savior and confess Him and know his great salvation. This seems to be the most difficult thing of all for the majority of people to understand that it is by grace that I just accept the free gift of God through our Lord Jesus. We, we want to be involved. Organized religion is all about that. I mean, some people will even look at the likes of baptism. Well, it's what the church does. It's what we're, we're told about. It's what is preached. It's what is expected. I'll get myself involved. I'll, I'll be baptized. And, and if I do that, then God will be happy with me. It's like becoming a member of the church. Uh, it's a good thing to do. People will look and see that. And if I'm involved and I participate, uh, well, that's enough. These things are are not enough. They're they're good things. We know that. But at the heart of it all, they can be a smokescreen for a poverty of spiritual experience. You know, it's true that people can do these things and it can just be ceremony. It can just be religion. It can just be external. And it means nothing if you go into it and you think, this is what I am doing so that I can be accepted by God and God will be pleased with me and receive me into his heaven. Not at all. On the other hand, people say, it can't be as easy as receiving the free gift of God. I mean, that's an offense to me. That there is somebody who's lived an awful life and they've done dreadful things 
And they now come to the point and they say, I realize I've sinned. I realize that Christ loved me and died for me. And I call upon him to save me. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And you say they're saved. And their sins are washed away at that point in time. And it can't be as easy as that, surely. Surely that is not the case. There has to be more to it than that. Somebody has their sins forgiven at that point, despite what they've done. Well, I mean, that is the case. And that is why it is so unpopular. And that is why many people have such a difficulty with the gospel. Because it cuts the feet away from my sense of entitlement. And my sense of self-worth and pride. There's nothing that I can do apart from reliance on Christ and his finished work upon the cross. The Jews rejected grace, unfortunately. They hung on to this whole idea of religion. And that is why they were hardened. And that brings me to the second part of this title we've got here. Not just the goodness or the kindness of God and his grace, but the severity of God. I mean, you look at the quotations there in verses 8 and 9, and the kind of vocabulary that's used about eyes being darkened, about ears that can't hear. The word retribution is used. That God in his severity, for those who reject the grace of God, that people will experience the power of God's anger and will experience a lost eternity, condemned, separated from him forever. I mean, that is the, these warnings have to be taken seriously. There is not just the goodness and kindness of God. There is the severity, the sternness of God as well. Now this brings us to our last point, our last word. The word uh, grafting is an illustration that is used in some length, as you noticed in the reading. And uh, he's turning at this point to to the non-Jewish peoples. He's looking around in Rome to the Italians, to the other Europeans, to the Asians that make up the majority of the of the church. Very minimal amount are Jewish, and he says to them, "You know." I have an illustration for you that, that, that teaches us something about how you have been blessed with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And here it is. He talks about being grafted in to an olive tree. Now, all seems very confusing. All seems very obtuse. Let, let me try and explain what I think, well, what I'm pretty sure this, this means. Uh, I mean, interestingly, just as a wee aside here, when I was when I was brought up, I was 16 when our family came to Aberdeen, actually, and uh, I was brought up in a little church that was called Olive Hall. I used to think, well, it's a kind of strange name, you know, Olive Hall. Does, does that mean that this this place be, be, uh, belonged to a lady who had that name? <laughs> was she a benefactor? Because it was a little tenement building actually that had been refurbished and you went up a stair and they knocked a few rooms together and, and that was where we met and I remember somebody asking why, why is this place called Olive Hall 
And he said, Romans chapter 11. So they, they called their church that for this particular reason. And it's all to do with the idea of grafting. Now, grafting has a couple of words. Some people use that word to, make, to mean that they, they work very hard and they're grafters. That's not what it means here. It's, a, it's, a, it's to do with plants. It's horticulture. And it's this bit about, you know, I don't know if Monty Don ever does this on Gardener's World or not, but uh, you take part of a particular tree that might not be growing very well and you connect it in, you kind of splint it in to um, the root of a, a living, healthy tree and lo and behold, in the fullness of time, the juice from the good tree flows through what was uh, the branch of basically a, a pretty poor tree and, 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 and olives, olives grow from it. And, and basically that is the imagery that he has here. And, and what he's saying to these Gentile people is this. You were like a wild olive tree. I mean, the olives were rubbish. You know, nothing grew and whatever did grow, they were pretty poor. But you have been grafted into Christ. You have been grafted in. And of course he's using that in a spiritual sense. I'd have to say, that illustration is not a million miles away from what baptism, as Bruce was telling us, also is a picture of. It's a picture of a connection between people and Christ. Not a physical connection, but a spiritual connection. When we are spliced we, we are joined, we are connected, we are united, we are immersed, we are baptized into Christ. Because that's what the word baptism means. Being joined, being united, being immersed. And in the same way as when Emily was baptized there, the water was all around her, completely immersed in it. That's the picture. A person who has faith in Christ and accepts the grace of God and the gift of God, which is our Lord Jesus Christ, at that point of faith, something happens spiritually. And they are spiritually united. Absolutely. So I have a union with Christ who is in heaven and yet by his spirit lives within me. And I'm completely united to Christ. And that means when I die, I will still be united to Christ in heaven. Now this is the wonderful message and this is the illustration for all of us to think about today. Am I united to Christ? Have I been grafted in to the olive tree so that the life of Christ can now extend into me. And that's why you read about the fruit of the Spirit. The life of Christ produces the life of Christ. Goodness, kindness, gentleness, patience, self-control. That's Christ's life. It's the fruit of the Spirit that comes from Him because of my spiritual union. And so, that's the question. And that's the challenge. Have I been united to our Lord Jesus Christ. And if you have, perhaps 
it would be good to bear witness to that that reality by obeying him in, in baptism as always I'm very happy to discuss any of this but these are the points some of the major points that we'll develop in a little bit more detail next week as far as this great subject of the kindness and of the severity of God is concerned. Now shall we pray? Lord, we're so grateful for being able to meet in your presence this morning. We just haven't come together to be with our friends, although there is something uplifting about that and encouraging. We're meeting with you. It's your word that has been read to us. And uh, we ask that as we consider that now, that we respond to your word, particularly as far as the reality of being spiritually united and grafted into Christ is concerned. It's been such a joy for us to witness Emily's baptism and uh, Jeremy and Carol coming into the fellowship and membership of this church and we pray for them and their families and we now commit ourselves to you as well as the children who've had their lessons today that all our hearts might be touched with the wonder of our Lord Jesus Christ and his amazing grace as we give thanks in his name. Amen.